1: science story, huh?
0: Is NYU a scientist? Uh, I, I, it felt, felt, I felt it right. I was so and I just happy. thought, well... I figured
1: it, wow. out. I it was like, that well. golden moment. Because science was on my side. Everyone, I'm Ben Lilly, and welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true personal stories about science. This week's story is from Skylar Bear. It was recorded in June 2016 at Union Hall in Brooklyn.
0: So I'm in my buddy Jeff's basement, and it's covered with body glow paint and black lights and glitter, and it's Halloween. Uh, There's even a disco ball like in this room, and there's also a dance cage made of PVC pipe and rope because that's what oceanographic engineers do for fun. Um, and I'm visiting um, my friends, my grad student friends at MIT, um, the engineers, uh, because I had moved to Maine. I had left MIT to basically pursue a career in scientific scuba diving. Um, and they thought I was crazy because instead of going to someplace like the Caribbean, I went to Maine where water temperatures are like 40 degrees and your hands go numb. You can't see past your hand and sometimes you have to crawl along the bottom to stay in one place. But like, I thought it was a really great idea. So um, I come back and visit, and at some point in the middle of the night, there's like five really sweaty, glittery uh, scientists that are quite young in the corner of the dance cage trying to put back together this corner that had fallen apart. And there's absolutely no alcohol involved whatsoever in this. Um, And I am one of those five people um, (laughs) blindly grabbing at these PVC pipes, and suddenly one just comes and slams me right in the uh, bridge of my nose. And I remember saying, I was like, oh my God, it's so painful, I'm drunk, and I can still feel how painful this is. And I put a frozen bag of peas on it, actually. Um, and the next day, the reason why this is so important in my head is the next day I started to feel really sick. And it wasn't it wasn't like a hangover was sick, it was like I had the flu. But it wasn't just the flu, it was like I had these like someone squeezing my heart randomly throughout the day or sticking a needle in it, these single heart arrhythmias. And it really freaked me out. And the reason it really freaked me out is because I had had heart surgery the day I was born 25 years prior. And so I was like, oh my God, this is the end. I got 25 years and that's it. And I was so sick for weeks. I'd sleep like 12 hours a day I thought I had mono, Lyme disease. I asked doctors to check me for everything. I even, when I got pulled over by a cop for speeding, he gave me a sobriety test because I looked like such crap. So I call my cardiologist in Boston, and I'm like, look, you need to test me for everything because something is wrong with me. Um, So they agree, even though they don't really, they're like single arrhythmias or just whatever, ignore it, I can't. Um, so I go down, they do this whole series of tests, and the last test is this 24-hour recording of my heart. It's called a halter monitor, and it basically looks like a really skinny Walkman. I don't know if any of you guys remember those. <laughs> Maybe. Um, and with all these wires attached to it and sticky pads, and it basically records my heart rate for 24 hours. Um, and then I keep like a little log of what I was doing. So I go, and I stay on my best friend's couch in Somerville, um, and then I drive back to Maine and then I pop the recorder in the mail, and it gets sent off to Boston. A week later is Thanksgiving Eve, so I'm back in Massachusetts visiting my parents, um, and we get a call from the doctor, and she says, you have to come in immediately. Your tape recorder showed that your heart went into 36 beats of ventricular tachycardia while you were asleep the night of your recording, and ventricular tachycardia or VTAC is this really fast rhythm that your heart can randomly get into that leads to one kind of heart attack. So basically I almost died on my best friend's couch Um, and I needed to come in immediately. But it was Wednesday before Thanksgiving and the doctors were out till Monday. So I was chained to a bed by a heart monitor uh, a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you know, and I kind of was like, felt like a prisoner. I'd go and do push-ups when no one was looking and has to be taken on walks around the yard, you know. <laughs> and um, my newly appointed electrophysiologist or EP doctor, Dr. Alexander, said, well, you know, we don't really know why you're sick, but it's bringing out this weird arrhythmia issue. Um, and we need to do an exploratory surgery to figure it out. There's three potential options. One is that this is kind of a fluky thing, and there's nothing sort of systemic going on. Another option is that you have sort of a a single short circuit in your heart that, no worries, we can, like, oblate it out. um, Just sort of, and it's gone. Um, And then the third option was that maybe I had really bad wiring and a condition that they can't really fix, um, sort of like bad wiring in an ancient house right you can't fix that shit um so he said he's like well you know just so you know like you might not be able to scuba dive anymore uh but i'm actually pretty optimistic that's not the case and i was like well i i'm more worried about whether or not i'm going to live the next few years honestly because when you're 25 you don't really want to die um so monday comes and i'm really nervous because the last time i had surgery was the day i was born i don't really remember that Um so the anesthesia nurse says to me, She's like, Don't worry, like we're not giving you general anesthesia because we need to gauge your reactions. Um, but you're not gonna like remember anything. And she's like, No one even remembers my name. And I was like, Oh yeah? I was like, What's your name? She's like, Marianne. And I was thinking, I'm like, Okay, she better be right. And I feel really groggy, like kinda drunk. Um, and I get rolled into the operating room and I'm like basically just waiting to pass out and, and wake up after the surgery, right um, But I start to feel them shove a catheter up my thigh and the pressure of like flesh being moved around and things twiddling in my heart and and I start weeping because apparently this drug I'm on makes me really weepy and I am just I'm, I'm upset, but I'm mostly just really angry at them <laughs> and, and And then I feel my heart turn into this hummingbird of doom going at 380 beats per minute, and then suddenly I feel this explosion in my chest and I black out. And I had been defibrillated because I was basically dying on the table, right? And I wake up and I'm still in surgery and I was pretty pissed off about that. I was like, this shit should be over by now. So I don't know how much longer goes on um and actually at one point the doctor said skylar does this feel funny and i was like just as funny as everything else has felt this past hour (laughs) and you'd think that like if a doctor hears that your patient probably doesn't have enough anesthesia right like to manage a sarcastic response (laughs) so so at the end of the surgery they like pull me up i'm sitting up and they're like you don't remember anything do you and I was thinking like, oh my God, these guys, these poor bastards. And so I sound kind of drunk, right? Like, so, cause some of the drugs are working. And I like, I point to each of them, I point to the doctor and I was like, you. I was like, I wanted to tell you to fuck off. I was like, but I wanted to be polite and I thought that'd be very rude. And then, and then I point to the technician. I was like, and you, your tapping on the computer was so annoying. <laughs> And then I turn my head around to Marianne, all exorcist-like, and I go, Thanks, Marianne." <laughs> and she just, like, gasps. <laughs> I had, like, exacted my revenge, even though I was so, like, I was so angry and upset, and I, you know, I wanted to know what the diagnosis was, and I'm, like, coming off of drugs, and it's just kind of this big whirlwind of emotions and drugs, and... You know, I felt like I felt like a mother that just given birth and was like, is it a boy? Is it a girl? Like what was the diagnosis? Like, what happens? What's wrong with me? And I don't know who tells me. I don't remember that, but I remember them saying, You have the worst case scenario. You have bad wiring in your heart, we cannot fix it, and you'll never be able to scuba dive again. And and I cried and I wept and and I was so upset cuz I was going to be this useless person in my scuba diving lab. I work in a scuba diving lab. And but then I was like I was so upset because I realized that I had no control over my body and therefore my life and my career or anything in it. And that was really it really hit me that I just didn't have any control whatsoever. And then And then what I didn't have control in either was that they were gonna implant this thing called an internal cardiac defibrillator, which is right here with me today, um, or an ICD. And they said that, you know, this was basically my safety net. They were gonna insert it in me in case I had another bad episode like I did on my best friend's couch. Um, And so I'm nervous about the surgery for two reasons. One, the anesthesia, which did not go so well last time. So I was looking for a promise from them. The second reason being that I had never seen an ICD. and I want, You know, when you're getting something put in you, you want to see it, right? Like, what are you putting inside me? So I say to my surgeon, Dr. Ma, I'm like, Dr. Ma, like, you know, I really want to see one of these. I was like, I got to see my IUD before they put that in. I better be able to see my ICD. And he was like, well, I don't want to compete with your IUD. (laughs) So after a couple days, I have to wait for the surgery. I still haven't seen one of these things. And I'm in the surgery prep room. And um, the anesthesia nurse walks in, and I'm like, oh, shit, you know, not looking forward to this. But my mom next to me, she's like, oh, my God, your name is Skye. And the woman says yes. And Skye had taken care of me 25 years prior when I was born. And she'd gone back to school, and now she's doing my anesthesia for my surgery. Then Dr. Ma finally shows up minutes before surgery, and he he shows me this ICD, which kind of looks like, one of those um, mp3 players before ipods became really familiar they're like kind of body contoured but you're not really sure what shape you'd call it and it's uh it's dark gray and i said i'm like oh okay like does it come in different colors and he's like he's like well no you wouldn't be able to see it and i was like well no but at least i'd know i had the hot pink one right <laughs> like so the surgery goes well cuz i don't remember anything so check off that list but but afterwards, like, I'm in a ton of pain. It felt like they had, like, uh, taken my left shoulder, my whole shoulder and arm, and, like, shoved it back in, even though this thing was just above my muscle wall on my, on my chest. Um, and so we sorted the drugs out. Um, but every time I tried to fall asleep, uh, my heart would start, start racing. And I don't know if you know what it feels like to have your emotions changed without your consent, but it's directly linked to your heart rate. When you're anxious, your heart rate gets really high. And so, apparently, when I fall asleep, my heart rate drops below 50 beats per minute. And the ICD was left on factory settings, which it does not let your heart drop below 50 beats per minute. <laughs> So I have this whole team of doctors, and they're like, okay, well, we'll adjust the pacing settings, and, and we'll do all the settings right now. And, and I start feeling my heart rate go up and down and all over the place, and, and I'm pissed off again. And I just decide I'm just gonna leave the whole situation and just leave my body. And my mom turns to me one point, she goes, Skylar. And, and I say, I hate everyone. <laughs> and then I just resume my like, zen-like state. So Dr. Ma comes running in. Finally, he's like, "Just turn, turn the whole damn thing off. Just turn it all off. Turn it all off." And um, and then he comes and sits by my bedside. And I turn. And I look at him, and I think, "I'm like, what could be the funniest thing that I could say right now?" Because that's like, I'm like, "How can I make this so much better?" And I said, I said in my raspy post-surgery voice, "Like, here I was going to propose to you, but then you had to screw with the pacing of my heart." <laughs> And my mom just looks at me, she's like, oh, she's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so like, you know, on one hand, I'm very grateful for these doctors, but on the other hand, I'm like, you know, in summary, they like, <laughs> they, they diagnosed a condition, a heart condition that they cannot fix. They can't do anything bad. They don't know what causes it. They've started turning me into a Cylon. Like, <laughs> they don't even know what I was actually sick with. They never figured that out. And then they, you know, added to this list of things that I, I can't do anymore, things that have been taken away from me in my life. And, um, and the damn thing's only gone off once since I've gotten it five, in five years. Um, but, it, you know, and I was really bummed about this scuba diving thing, right? But my committee member, Chris, told me that when he was in grad school, he was doing a lot of snorkeling work for his his research, and he said the most productive summer he ever had, he was ill and could not snorkel. And he said he put all that energy he would have put into snorkeling into being the lead scientist, into writing the data plans, making sure the experiment's well, carefully carefully picking up messes where people were too tired to deal with it. and. And so I decided, I decided that I could do that instead for my research projects, which were all dive-based. Um, I, could, I could be that lead scientist. And it was exactly, while I was feeling so disappointed in myself and so angry with my life, it was exactly what I needed to hear to get through my PhD degree um, where I am now. And, and actually, too, my boyfriend and I have been reading uh, The Tao of Pooh to each other lately. And one of the things that the author says is an old Chinese saying that's uh, one disease, long life, no disease, short life, meaning that if you know your weaknesses, um, you can take care of yourself the right way, right? And you can even turn them into strengths later on. But if you think that there's nothing wrong with you, you're probably headed for disaster. So I like to think that now that I have this new weakness, I I am maybe a bit stronger and maybe a bit wiser for it. Thank you.
1: was Skylar Bear. Skylar's produced and hosted Stork glider shows in the great state of Maine. She's currently a PhD candidate studying the secret sex lives of scallops at the Darling Marine Center. Due to a mishap involving a fisherman, buckets of gonads and an unlocked Chevy, she once lost all her research samples but gained a segment on the Colbert Report. She's also appeared as a guest on MPBN's Maine Calling and manages the blog and podcast Strictly Fish Rap. The Story Collider is produced by me, Brian Wecht, Aaron Barker, Ari Daniel, Christine Gentry, Skylar Bear, Shane Hanlon, Rosie Waldron, and Liz Neely. The podcast is produced by Rose Eveleth, and the theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to Union Hall for hosting the show, and to The Heat for being awful. Thanks for listening.